From the Pixel Studios in Las Vegas, Nevada, this is Phone Booth Fighting, a free weekly podcast covering the world of mixed martial arts and far beyond. With myself, Richard Hunter, and this guy, Frank Mir. he is Frank Mir, the two-time UFC heavyweight champion, current Bellator heavyweight fighter, and uh, we got a friend in studio, uh, Frank. I call him a mutual friend yeah. because we both know him. And we both, he's also one of those guys when uh, I, whoever mentioned his name first, the other one's like, oh, yeah, I love that guy. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's not always that way. Sometimes when you both know somebody, you mention a guy and they're like, eh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. The tepid. Eh. That's right. Let's say hello to Max Roscoff. Am I pronouncing your last name right? Uh, it's Roshkoff. Rosh. Yeah. Like Roshkoff. an S-H. Roshkoff. Yes. I never uh, say Max's last name, so I had to avoid uh, I try to avoid it, too. Yeah. <laughs> Roshkoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank avoids your last name like Njikawani, right? Yes. That was the all-time back in the WEC days. That was, was that the... That was my worst nightmare in a while. Until I went to ACB. And yeah. Then, oh, God. You know, and then it's Mega Mega Medoff. Medoff. Eventually, I just started telling people the very beginning of the broadcast, because my partner, Brian Lacey, was very good at just... He would say your name the way it was supposed to be yeah. said, no matter how far from his culture your name was. And then I'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to call him Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so when you hear me say Steve, I'm referring to you know, it'd be some kind of knockoff of their name. You know? Yeah. Well, you did a great job pronouncing my name, uh, commentating my That's last name. because I was fight, staring so. at it the yeah, whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what notes do you have? I'm like, just his name. Yeah. <laughs> I know everything else. It's just his name. <laughs> yeah. So Max is a uh, professional mixed martial artist in the uh, lightweight division. 3-0, and perfect uh, uh, pro record. And uh, Frank, as the guys just alluded to, has called uh, at least two of Max's fights, right? Uh, one. One. The first yeah, one, one. I was uh, out of town for the other Yeah, because I knew he, you fought FFC, yeah. okay, but you weren't there. Okay, right. So uh, 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 his uh, called his fights over there in uh, FFC, and then I see Max uh, every week at Extreme Couture because he's our uh, jiu-jitsu coach for Wimp to Warrior this season. So I am uh, under his tutelage. So uh, welcome to the show, man. We've been talking about doing this for a while, so I'm glad you, uh, you, glad you came up. Yeah, super glad to be here. Thanks yeah. for having me on. Absolutely. Now, Max, Frank, to me is the uh he's like the uh well tell you what before we get into this i got to get the plugs out of the way so let's uh talk about patreon real quick how people can uh, support the show almost got ahead of myself uh if you haven't checked out our patreon page yet there is a banner on the front of phoneboothfighting.com uh it's also patreon.com forward slash phoneboothfighting you get there either way and here's how you can support the show for $1 a month, that's right, I said $1 a month, basically the same thing that I tipped my barista at Starbucks earlier today, you get access to exclusive bonus content, which includes uh, extra content from each episode, like our last episode, there's an extra, I think we uh, broke down the, the Bagel Boss guy fight uh, on our uh, bonus content from the last episode, and then there was uh, some pro wrestling talk the episode before that. Point is, uh, after the mics uh, go dark, we chat a little bit longer, and it's uh, uh, you know, it's a good 20-minute chunk, something like that. And uh, that content is provided exclusively and only for our Patreon subscribers uh, for $1 a month once again. And also, right now, there are two full-length 90-minute uh, live uh, specials up there, one that we taped at the Laugh Factory in Chicago with Big John McCarthy and uh, another that we taped at the L.A. Comedy Club in Las Vegas with Chael Sonnen. 
uh, both of which, I believe, feature me competing in my new signature sport, Combat Name That Tune. What you're undefeated at. Sir. I am undefeated at that. You're not the only undefeated fighter at this table, by the way, Max. That probably uh, surprises you to find out. I have uh, uh, Frank and I uh, created a sport. We combined our two areas of expertise, his uh, being martial arts and mine being an affinity for uh, classic rock. And the game is this. We clear the stage of all chairs and uh, furniture, and then the DJ plays a song, random classic rock song. I don't know what it is. I have to say the name of the song before Frank can submit me. And there's not much time. And you're undefeated. There's not much time. That's because I am so quick. (laughs) So quick. Two chords, and this guy knows what the song is. Uh, And uh, And the the part that sucks, because I suck at music. I just didn't grow up around it. You know, my parents didn't play music all the time around the house. So, like, eh, I, I don't know music that well. Like, I, I always make jokes. If we play that game, I mean, now everybody has fucking Shazam or just Siri on their phone mm-hmm. tells them. But if you want to sit there and go name that tune, do not pick me on your team. I have no yeah, fucking yeah. clue. Yeah. The worst part is Frank doesn't know because of that. He doesn't know if that's, that's my why point. he should release the submission yeah. hole. So I kind of have to hesitate. I'm going to sit there. I'm, like, looking at other people. I'm all... Is, is that right? it? Is it right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you'll see me competing against Frank. I, I compete against uh, Chell Sonnen uh, in the uh, Chicago video, and then uh, also our full-length videos of our interview with Billy Bob Thornton in his hotel room, Ralphie May, a couple of months before he passed away in his dressing room. All those are up on our Patreon page. Once again, phoneboothfighting.com. Click the Patreon banner, or you can go to patreon.com forward slash phoneboothfighting, and we certainly appreciate your support. One more uh, matter of business uh, to get out of the way frank and this is your department where you tell them about the banner that's right below the patreon banner which is the amazon banner and why it's important to click through the amazon banner if you're shopping on amazon and you're a fan of phone booth fighting yeah by doing all your shopping on our amazon banner by clicking on phoneboothfighting.com you hit the banner it transports you right over to the uh, amazon page and then by that point doing any of your shopping for your wants and your needs at a small percentage uh, no extra cost to you we'll come back here at the show to us that's it all right, so here's my uh, here's. Let me get back to what I was going to say about Max. Max, when I hear Max's daily comings and goings and all that, and we chat at the gym, and the next fight's coming up, or you're doing a jujitsu tournament or whatever it is, Max to me epitomizes the the typical life of like the up and coming mixed martial artist, a guy who's good at what he does, but he's you know has hustling for fights, and maybe he's going to do a jujitsu tournament and all that kind of stuff. It's I've uh, uh, I have uh, played it out in my head now to where I've got you like Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse, where you live alone and you stitch up your own <laughs> wounds and stuff like that. Anything like that? Uh, it's pretty similar. Uh, I also I've, I've been around pretty much all over the country, and then just being here in Vegas for the last two years, I wouldn't say this might just be me being a little narcissistic, but uh, I definitely wouldn't say it's typical. Mm-hmm. how i how i approach things mm-hmm. i think that's going to show in kind of my results in the next couple of years mm. but uh no for sure it's definitely i i get the patrick swayze thing a lot i get tom cruise a lot uh i really don't even know why i'm fighting right now i should just be in hollywood making oh making clearly real money well, and you're very humble <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you know what like i guess to shed light on like uh, for people at home going what did you mean by not the typical yeah one thing i know from the outside is that you know Max wrestled in college, very high level, right? Yeah. Um, most guys that are all American level wrestlers, if I bring them over to a jiu-jitsu gym, they just want to learn a little bit of jiu-jitsu, maybe at most to implement a few submissions into their mm. game. Mm. But realistically, 
they're just looking for ways to avoid jujitsu. How can yeah. I use my, you know, well, what do I have to make sure to avoid getting arm barred, to avoid getting choked? How do I get out of this? Mm -hmm. What do I need to worry about? They just want the formula for beating it. I have yet to meet a guy of his background in wrestling that came into a jiu-jitsu gym and throws a gi on and goes, no, I'm going to fight off my back even and pull guard, and I want to learn how to be an actual jiu-jitsu guy, and then I'm going to combine the two together and try to figure out how to make it work. That's actually a very rare quality. Everybody, especially especially in our culture, you know, fuck, we're king of the fast food, you know what I mean? Like, you know, immediate gratification. Most guys, they've already, you know, they've already been wrestling since they were fucking six years old. You know, now they're 22, 24 years old. They're out of college. They're like, well, I'm already started at the bottom of the totem pole. I don't want to start there again. Just give me what I need to fix my game up, which is very indicative of what you see in MMA fights. Most guys have a solid wrestling background, which is the most dominant art in mixed martial arts. Mm -hmm. But then they, they get a guy on the ground. I mean, for example, Miaochik, right? Mm -hmm. He had, you know, he's a decent wrestler. Mm -hmm. When he took down Francis Ngannou, he still never even went for one submission. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody, even with a, with a rudimentary understanding of submissions, go, well, shit, with your level of boxing and your level of wrestling where you got him, man, if you just knew a blue belt level choke, this fight would be over with. And he didn't because he's a guy, like, which is extraordinarily common. They don't submerge themselves into the different aspects of what the components of martial arts are. Mm -hmm. Very few guys, like I said, I mean, even John Jones, he'll joke around when I trained there in Albuquerque. He still has a white belt. He's probably thrown a gi on five times in his life, let alone actually put a gi on and work themselves up to a purple belt level. Well, only ranking wise, fucking, yeah. I think, higher level than that with a gi. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that says something about a guy's desire to learn every intricate detail of the art. Well, it's interesting because, to uh, to my eye, uh, with whatever amount of experience I've had, Max, I always see this sort of age-old conundrum develop between the wrestler and the jiu-jitsu practitioner, where the wrestler is comfortable on top. And the jiu-jitsu practitioner is comfortable on bottom. Oftentimes, if they don't balance it out to their mutual detriment, like the jiu-jitsu guy's so comfortable, he's got to work on getting up. Or the wrestler's so comfortable on top, he's got to work on not just shutting down if he gets on bottom and knowing where to go. I mean, was that kind of something you saw coming early that you needed to, you know, be balanced like that? No, I think uh, there's just something that was just it just naturally happened for me because when I was wrestling in college I didn't even I started training jiu-jitsu about 18 but even before that I've always been like a scrambly kind of guy like I was mm -hmm. never good at freestyle wrestling because mm -hmm. in freestyle if you expose your back you give up points right so mm -hmm. in folk style I was always doing leg passes uh stuff that I would roll a lot roll around do like funkier yeah, stuff so I was always like the Ben Askren type stuff yes like kind of very very similar to Ben mm -hmm. Askren and then uh I started training jiu-jitsu, and at first I was like the typical wrestler. I was like, I don't want to learn this. I just want to be on top and hit the guy. Mm -hmm. And then I started training with uh, I was with Sean Spangler a lot, and then with uh, one of his affiliate, well, not uh, someone who he was under an affiliate under with uh, Jonathan Uzgadiki in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. And after a couple of years of doing just no gi stuff, they kind of talked me into doing uh, the gi. And at first I was like, no, nah, I don't know. I don't want to do this. I just want to fight MMA. I just want to punch guys. I just want to get on mm -hmm. top. And because uh, that's what I was good in wrestling, that was my thing. Yeah. I couldn't take anyone down to save my life. It was once I got on top, I was gonna, I was drowning guys there. Yeah. And then uh, once I saw like there was like uh, Jonathan and Sean were just like beating the living dog shit out of me, which pure jujitsu stuff, and I was like, would go home like pretty upset, like because I'm, I'm an emotional guy, so like I had to sit back and kind of like 
uh, like just self-observe and like self-aware, have some self-awareness that, Hey, like I got to get better at this. This is something. And I liked it anyway, yeah. but I was like, I, I got to fully, uh, go all in on this. So I, I started, I trained in a gi only three times a day for like almost a year before I moved out here to Vegas. Yeah. But then, uh, at first it like didn't make sense cause the techniques are a lot different, but I got to thank those two guys for kind of putting me on that path of, uh, really getting into the whole jujitsu game. And I think it, it's going to show, man, there's not there. I'm the only guy that I know that like really has gotten at a high level wrestling in college and then really has like thrived in jujitsu. And like, I love, I, I probably love, I, I say I love jujitsu more than wrestling, but I wouldn't be the jujitsu guy I am today without wrestling. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That always seems to be such a, I mean, on any level, really, even when somebody has just a little bit of wrestling, let alone a high level of wrestling, that's such an accelerator in jujitsu. Well, and it does suck. What he's talking about is something that I wish more grapplers would understand. Mm. That's why I, I, if you notice in my, even the way I, my vernacular, when I speak, I say grappling. Mm -hmm. I try to avoid saying yes. jujitsu and wrestling as much oh, as possible yeah. because they're really the same thing. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm controlling you and trying to submit you and trying to choke you. Uh, you know, wrestling is an art of control and, and jujitsu is too. It's just that when people first develop the guard, it's like, okay, well look, the guard's a great thing. Half guard's great. That means that the other guy is dominant you, he's physically superior over to you and he threw you down. But if I could be the guy that throws the other guy down and be on top of him, then all the jujitsu stuff I work, it actually works even better from top, yeah. mm -hmm. from, a, yeah. from a position of dominance, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, but they're two sides of a coin. You have to, you know what I mean? Like, I, I guess my analogy I always tell people is like being a specialist in the military. You see those guys, you know, the Navy SEALs, you know, they have a rifle, they have a long gun, and that's their, pro, you know, that's their choice. They want to use that first. But they all have sidearms. They have handguns that they know how to use. But they're not throwing the long rifle down to choose their, their sidearm. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. they don't go, let me go and use this first. It's like, well, no. But if they get stuck in a situation and the guy comes in a room and grabs a rifle and, that, and now this is no longer of use to them, they'll transition to a sidearm. Boom. Okay, close range. And that's the same thing with being good on your back or being good with, you know, jujitsu and, yeah. and wrestling. Like, I hate it. when And I was that jujitsu guy because I only wrestled for two years in high school. So predominantly my grappling experience was jujitsu. So I was way too comfortable being on bottom. I was the kind of guy that if you were in my guard, you didn't have to hold me down. I wasn't trying to get up. I was trying to submit you or sweep you, mm -hmm. but that third component of you also having to drive in to hold me down was always missing until later on in my career. I'm like, oh shit, there's a blaring mm -hmm. hole here. Mm -hmm. And then I see other guys who I'm like, oh, you should add that if you're a jujitsu guy add mm -hmm. that to your repertoire or you see the guys that are good wrestlers and the minute they hit their back all they care about is standing up i'm all man that was you had a choke right there yeah, and dude. you can't turn your back and stand up like you do in wrestling yeah you gotta you gotta get your guard back you gotta get frames you gotta stand up sweep you don't sweep then you stand up but you're not able to just turn your back in referee's position stand no. up someone who's good on your back is going to make you pay you'll never get up that way yeah so mm -hmm. that's why i think it's always the three that's why i tell people like if, if to be good at grappling in mma you have to you hit the bottom you have to be standing up sweeping and submitting and, and transitioning between those three things at all times mm -hmm. i get most of my stand-ups from submissions when i lock something up on somebody and guys go oh shit i don't like how this feels and they pull away from me boop now i'm up on my feet yeah. With the mentality of going up to your feet. Whereas jujitsu guys, sometimes with black belt jujitsu, he won't follow you up. Because mm. you pull out of the arm bar and then he sits there on his back, like, all right, come on, come get some more. <laughs> and then this guy's like, well, fuck you. you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? yeah. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So, so Max, you're born in Ohio, big wrestling state there. Now, are you really from Kilbuck, Ohio? Kilbuck, Ohio. That's yes. so perfect. It sounds like it's made up. Nope. Right? Yeah, it's no. A real place. Little, yeah, little, uh, little small town. I think they're just over a thousand people now. I lived outside, outside of town, mm-hmm. in the middle of a cornfield, where mm-hmm. all we had to do was throw mud at each other and wrestle the pigs and pig shit. Yeah. Uh, Did you grow up doing it, like farm work and shit? Yeah, sadly, that's why I wanted to get good at wrestling. I hate that <laughs> shit. <laughs> Never. I had to do, I had to do uh, construction work and then worked on the farm and stuff, and uh, for no money. Obviously, but yeah, yeah, I working was, for your dad. Yeah, yeah working for my dad. And I'm just like, I fucking hate this shit. Yeah. And then uh, I was actually really bad at all at every sport I ever tried at first. Yeah. And then I just found wrestling, and I didn't care how bad I was at it. I loved it, so I was like, it's like I'm gonna get good at this. But then like that's yeah. That was the main reason that I kind of like got set on the path that I am on now is the farm work and the construction work, roofing shit like that i never want to do it in my life i work very very hard in what i do but i will i'm the laziest motherfucker when it comes to shit i don't want to do yeah so i was like i never want to do that stuff again <laughs> i see like a savant work ethic it's yes. like yeah you apply it to to what you want right so uh uh okay so so you you start there you go to uh north carolina state right when did you start wrestling like young? uh so i think my i can't remember how young i was but yeah. my uh my mom put me, we did like a couple months of like peewee wrestling, but I think, I don't remember. I think my dad made me quit cause it was, a, we were a basketball family. Mm. And so I kind of like just stopped. So I did like two or three months when I was probably like seven mm-hmm. and then, uh, really started. I started when I was 12, 13, I was in the principal's office for fighting and the principal was the, uh, junior high wrestling coach. Oh. And he was like, we got to do something to keep you out of trouble. Cause I was in trouble all the time. Mm. I'm like, if I would have been in a city school, I would have been the juvie. The mm. only reason I think that kind of like saved me being in a small town, being s- small towns are kind of like 20 years behind mm-hmm. the rest of the rest yeah. of the country when yeah. it's that small where it's like, I think my, we were still allowed to bring guns in our trucks to school, like my <laughs> freshman year of high school. <laughs> and that was only a few years ago. Yeah. And now that's like something you can't, it's everyone, we, everyone took a week off to hunt and stuff like that. So uh-huh. like it just wasn't a big deal. But once I was like a senior, it was kind of yeah. like, we're not allowed to do that stuff anymore. We had like gun threats and bomb yeah. threats and stuff like that started happening. Yeah. Now why? But, why, which, why do? You, yeah. That's probably. I mean, also too on a side note. I mean, that's one of the things mm-hmm. I think when your name got brought up the first time when I was because I know you're at Drysels, but I didn't realize you were coaching over at uh, Couture's too. The 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 um, Winter Warrior. Winter Warrior. Yeah. And so when Richard was telling me who the coaches were, he goes, oh, you know, Max. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I know who he is. In fact, he's taught class, the Nogi class, mm-hmm. and I said, and I've seen him teach the kids class and stuff like that. Man, that guy's great at instruction. And that's what we were talking about is how good of – which to me is even rarer because most guys that are 24 years old that – you know, you're supposed to be selfish. You only want to make yeah. sure you're a good fighter. You're worried about yeah. you. And even if they teach class, they're just doing it to make sure they keep their free membership at the gym usually. Yeah. That's the whole concept, you know. Mm-hmm. But to teach a kid's class or to teach a wimp to warrior where you have people that literally have no fucking clue. Okay, half guard. Half of what? Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, well, guard? Yeah. yeah. What you are you know? talking about? And so uh, for you to have that good of a patience instructional-wise, probably coming from such a background allowed you to understand uh, people better uh yeah i think just uh, not a lot of time to get into it but i definitely had a really rough upbringing and i think that uh being around a lot of really shitty people taught me everything that i wasn't supposed to do 
And then also mm. because I was so angry as a kid, I was always fucking up. You think that's why you were in trouble in school and all? Oh that? yeah, one hundred percent. You learn you learn what you what you get. Yeah, you get. sure. Yeah. So like, but I think uh, I I've, I messed up a lot. I was always in trouble, but I didn't want to be in trouble. Mm. I wasn't a kid that I was like, oh my god, like I'm just gonna keep fucking up. I'm just gonna keep fighting. I'm gonna keep mm-hmm. like it hurt my heart every time mm. that I got in trouble. But mm. I always like I, sometimes I just like. I couldn't help it. That's just what I knew. Yeah. So I, I always learned from stuff like that. And I've slowly, like, I don't even think I'm not even close to being like the person that I'm, that I want to be. So I'm still growing in that way. Like every time something like my kids test, test my patients, adults test my patients. I'm still trying to like grow from that. But, uh, I've always just, I, th- I think you got to give back. Um, I want to be where I'm at today. If it wasn't for people who helped me that had zero reason to other than they just saw that i i wanted it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh and it's i can't complain it's it's i get to teach martial arts yeah for almost for a living and then i get the train and it makes me a better fighter at the end of the day too i think another thing that separates me that's i only had one amateur fight but when i turned pro right away and i had a really tough opponent in my first fight uh my coaches really weren't worried about it because they're like your fight iq is just like they see it in the room when I'm sparring. My fight IQ is like better than guys that have 30 fights. Mm. It's you can just see that, and I think that just comes from the coaching part of it, yeah. where I, I had I had to learn it. I had the I had to be smart with it, mm-hmm. and I always think it's I always try to think about it. Uh, well, it's always kind of weird because like I in school school wise goes back to like the Savant work mm-hmm. ethic. Yeah, in school I had like two zero. I was like D's and C's all mm-hmm. the time, but I didn't mm-hmm. want to do it. But when it comes to like stuff that I enjoy, I'm like. Yeah, I'll work very hard and I'll get smart at it. When you so so you meet the 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 uh, the principal that's also we say the junior high wrestling coach, yep. right? Yep. So that's going to get you into wrestling and keep you out of trouble and all that kind of stuff. But obviously, you know, things at home probably don't necessarily change. Family stays the family and all that kind of stuff. Even at that age, though, does that change the way that you start to view the dysfunction at home, where you've got like that positive influence coming? When you go home, I'm sure it still is upsetting and mm-hmm. looks bad and all that. But does it actually change the way that you start? Do you start to see it more clearly? Do you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, it, you're getting it, another it was already it was already starting to naturally happen because yeah. I was starting that I had friends and I'd go hang out with them. Oh, see, and other stuff. Family, so I'd sure. see other families, uh, and then I was always like, if it wasn't for some of my friends' dads taking yes, me to yeah. wrestling tournaments every weekend, mm. I'm like seeing these 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 dads who are not making a whole lot of money, but they're spending their whole weekend driving two, three hours yeah. to drive me and my buddy to the wrestling tournament. And like, they're there coaching us. I have a strong inclination that if we had a longer show and you guys want to start talking about dad issues. <laughs> oh, it, yeah. oh, all day. Okay. And then, uh, oh, that's all a challenge. All right. all right. Everybody stand back. But yeah. then, uh, I just started seeing other, other, uh, other families. I'm just like, it's not supposed to be like this because yeah. for the first for the entire like first 10 years of my life i just had i just thought that's that's how people were yep and that's how i acted but then i started to learn that that's not how it is and then uh but it definitely set me on the right on the right path the it, it was it was kind of cool to see because you they they tracked it is my mm-hmm. detention i had like 100 detentions 70 detentions hmm. 60 detentions every year it went down and down yeah. And then my senior year, I didn't have really any. But, oh, like, nice. it, 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 there was, like, a way to track yeah. that I was actually not yeah. being as bad <laughs> as I was before. Well, that's interesting to me and because, and you know, Frank 
alludes to the fact that uh, uh, I, I didn't have the healthiest relationship with my dad either, say the least. But I do think there is something to be said for, I think certain kids, it's like you're already smart enough to see that things shouldn't be as they are, even if you don't completely understand why they're that way or how they're going to how you're going to do it differently or whatever, you still know. Like, mm-hmm. it's not, you know from the beginning this isn't at, I always felt like a kid that was kind of trapped in an adult's body in that sense because I was like, man, if I was, if I just wasn't eight, I could get in the car and go, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, or, organize this myself. So that makes a lot of sense to me, and I, I'm always interested to find out about that because I think once somebody shows you that path, it's, it's not always out of the blue like it's uh somebody's giving you a viable alternative but i think a lot of the times that a kid can recognize that it's mm-hmm. because they like you said they were already knowing mm-hmm. something's not right i've seen other examples of this it's different other places yeah. and you just basically needed that vehicle whether it's a literal vehicle or a figurative one in terms of like uh a, you know wrestling or something yeah, like that and, to take uh, you there. being a small town you uh, and my mom was amazing yeah my mom for, once i started wrestling i realized, realized that like i had control over pretty much everything my mom let me do whatever i wanted like if i wanted to, when i was in high school i could go out and do whatever uh-huh. and she knew i was gonna make good decisions but when i was 12 years old that was i literally i told my dad i was like i don't want to see you ever again yeah. and like we don't i don't need to be around you and i'm gonna be like successful yeah and build my own life and i'm a 12 year old yeah the biggest balls in the world telling my six foot four 230 dad to fuck off yes and it's like and then my dad and then my mom after that i was 12 13 i was making my own decisions pretty much like an 18 year old obviously were you still was, married no okay no, they got divorced when we were five or six but then yeah. like then once my dad was out of the picture my mom just kind of like let me off the leash and then i just started doing yeah. everything that i ever wanted to do and i wasn't a kid that was going to be out drinking partying stuff like that yeah. uh so well, i'm super a, an super. identity that yes. caused you to have the yes. reasons to make those proper decisions yes. very interesting it's very interesting when the kid sort of becomes the adult there's no like you guys that's what i'm saying because i mean yeah, same thing with him and yeah. his dad basically the line that you said that he said to me before which I and actually you're the first guy I've ever talked to that was like I basically my father taught me everything I didn't want to be as yes, a man. Yes, yeah, exactly. And so now man. you sound like oh okay, well you yeah. guys actually have a lot. Makes of sense. Yeah, <laughs> I was like wow, that's the second time I've heard that. Now. Did I? Do, I'm trying to think. Did I do any of that material when you're at my stand-up show? Did I do any of my? No, dad? I don't okay. think so. Next time you're coming yeah, Sunday. Yeah, I'll, yes, I'll I'm got, coming. I, I got some. You'll be like everybody else will be laughing. You're like it's true. Yeah, <laughs> it's, true. it's so true. Yeah, yeah, fine. All right, so you, then you go to uh, North Carolina State, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. and uh, and you wrestle there and then what i mean was that uh, nowadays of course i mean people start thinking about possible mixed martial arts careers and fights and stuff like that a lot earlier than they used to back in the mm-hmm. old days but i mean was that something that everybody was just always talking about and you were always interested in or did it happen more accidentally than that no so when i got there the pro the pat Papalizio and the whole new coaching staff their whole goal so they created a regional training center which is where you go post-college mm-hmm. to train to be to make the olympic team or make world teams or whatever and uh so pretty much early on like my freshman sophomore year we saw that that like because freestyle wasn't my thing and greco really was i was good at greco but like wasn't going to be my thing we were starting to look at options as far as like what i could do as far as possibly still uh be an athlete pretty much after i'm done training and then i already started doing jujitsu and then once we I like kind of made that decision that I was going to fight. I started boxing in Raleigh with uh, Remy Fullwood 
uh, all summer I was training uh, boxing and wrestling with and jiu-jitsu, all of it. And so I started doing that at 19-20, and that was just always uh, – I liked – I really liked that my coaches in college were very supportive of that. Mm-hmm. They were – they kind of like – we would talk about it and they're like, dude, like with your wrestling style and stuff and how dominant you are on top and how well you scramble, like you could be really, really good. Mm-hmm. And so that was just like, okay, I'm going to go all in on that. So I was almost in college. I was almost training more for MMA than I was for wrestling. Mm, okay. Okay. Already with an eye, with yeah. an eye toward that. So then you turn pro, which, uh, what, probably just a couple of years ago at this point, right? A uh, little over a year ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. A little over a year ago. So you do. And then how does that, and this kind of gets into what I was saying at the beginning about, because I think a lot of people who are MMA fans, you know, they watch UFC and that kind of stuff, but they don't really realize when you're just starting out what that hustle is like you mm-hmm. know you're you're working to get your own fights you it's a it's a smaller promotion but you gotta make sure it's a good promotion as opposed to a bad mm-hmm. one how are the matchups going to go and all that kind of stuff so did you start do you handle that kind of stuff yourself did you have anybody that kind of helped guide you business wise so that stuff? so for we were trying to get amateur experience i was trying to get amateur fights and i was yep. lucky to get one and yeah. that, they, it, I won by doctor stoppage. The guy whose face was too swollen to continue after three minutes. So mm-hmm. I was like, wasn't really, wasn't really, I think it's funny. Yeah. Oh, okay. And he used to train with us <laughs> at extreme. He's the weirdo. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> but, uh, they, uh, and then after that, like it's, it was stupid. Like they amateurs weren't signing up to fight. Like they didn't want to get the experiences. Like that's, this is the, if you want to fight a wrestler now, like a good college wrestler, mm-hmm. you should do it now. Mm-hmm. You should. That's now's the time to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, don't I? I see amateur fighters here in Vegas all the time. They're like, oh, I don't know if that's a good matchup. I don't know if I should take that fight. So shut up, bro. Right. Like, now's the time. Every other amateur sport has thousands of competitions throughout their life. Amateur MMA. If you don't have any background in it, you're gonna have five amateur fights and turn pro. You have no idea how to compete. Yeah. I learned how to compete after seven years of wrestling. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's a long time to be competing. And same thing for jiu-jitsu. I've had, I've had probably a thousand wrestling matches, probably a hundred jiu-jitsu matches and tons of like just wars in the gym as far as like training for wrestling, jiu-jitsu and boxing. So like I have a lot of experience, but like if you're just an am- amateur MMA guy that just has no background, you started training when you're 18, five fights is not enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're just you, not ready. So you were looking for amateur, but you only got the one, yeah. and then it was turn pro. So how do you how do you deal with that kind of stuff now? As far as like getting fights, I mean, are you are you actively watching, looking to now? Do- I have uh, my, I'm managed by Brian Butler with uh-huh. Sucker Punch. Oh, but okay. at my first professional fight, we just uh, all the coaches at Extreme were just kind of hitting up promoters for me, mm-hmm. and uh, I ended up getting a fight with WFF in uh, Arizona against a guy from. Uh, uh, Arizona, one of the big big gyms in Arizona, mm-hmm. uh, MMA Lab, okay, MMA yeah. Lab, John Crouch's it, place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so we were just looking, and then after that fight, uh, I guess the guy I had fought it was pretty good, and I think he's won both of his fights since me by knockout in the mm-hmm. first, in like mm-hmm. two minutes. Mm-hmm. So like he was pretty good, and I think they brought me out there actually to lose, and I smashed him. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I was looking for fights on my own, and we were just like couldn't get any fights, and I'm just like. I'm one and zero with no amateur experience, basically, and it's like I hadn't started doing a whole bunch of jujitsu stuff, so it was I was literally just like a college wrestler. So I was like, mm-hmm. I get it why you don't guys don't want to fight, but like, come on, like if you don't if you you can either fight or you're either ready or you're not. Mm-hmm. If you're 
if you say you want to be a pro fighter, you better be ready to fight everyone. You're not going to go your whole career without fighting a good grappler. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of frustrating. And then uh, I ended up signing with uh, Brian Butler with Sucker Punch, and now he handles uh, all that for me. All right, all right. That sound like how, uh, is this any of this sounding familiar, Frank? Is the beginning of days, or is this back to? It's always interesting when you put somebody who's like the old veteran with the new, because you can compare then and now and how everything worked out. I mean, d- d- Frank, it was even worse. Yeah, we I was didn't say, have amateur. Yeah, Frank, I mean. Frank's got the story of uh, Joe Silva on his bicycle, right, yeah. pedaling by the gym and signing people up for a pro fight. Yeah, back. Yeah, I mean, in two thousand, two thousand one. I mean, there was amateur fights, but I mean, for the most part, you just turned pro. Yeah, guys just jumped right into it, and just and because the different level of shows were amateur level, realistically, you know, I mean, nowadays the amateurs are much more professional right. level than they were yeah. back twenty years ago. Yeah, but that was just you know, you just kind of just jumped into it because there, there was no other. There really wasn't enough avenue. Uh, to go another way yeah that's uh I, re- I remember randy couture told me one time that you know when he first started out that you just sort of believed whatever somebody wrote down on paper like when they did the medicals or the weigh-ins <laughs> or if there were even medicals or Their whatever background. yeah like yeah. he said one time he's like you know i remember somebody wrote down that they had a hundred pit fights <laughs> he's like what's that you know i don't know but i guess they've had a hundred of them yeah that's what i'm so glad about now because i mean you know i grew up late 80s and 90s you know and and there used to be that you know because i came from a martial arts background and everybody would talk about you'd always have that guy that was undefeated 300 no street fighter and fuck i'm that was the one thing i was so happy about mma it gets rid of that bullshit yeah yeah, yeah. i mean like real quick it's like nowadays you know not that there's still not idiots out there probably fucking you know yeah uh, you know no one peddling their bullshit but for the most part if someone goes hey i i'm i'm billy badass i can kill you know really so i mean you don't want to be rich because if you really were that bad of a motherfucker (laughs) you know what i mean like i I know a place that we can go where you could do this for real and do it on camera and you're gonna make quite a living you know what i mean yeah so uh, then we get to uh, the part, as uh, Frank said, uh, Max uh, trains over at uh, Robert Drysdale's place. And uh, so you guys know each other from over there. And then uh, uh, Max becomes the jiu-jitsu coach this year for my Wimp to Warrior program. So if anybody who listens to the podcast knows the whole story, but we'll just give you the quick overview. Uh, Wimp to Warrior, if you go to wimptowarrior.com, the number two, wimptowarrior.com, uh, you'll see what I'm talking about. It is an international program run by... By, uh, Richie Cranny that um, out of Australia that basically um, uh, allows people everyday people uh, with little to no MMA experience to train uh, for about five months in a professional gym with professional coaches and uh, five days a week and then at the end of the five month period you get an actual amateur fight if you so choose don't have to do that but uh that is available to you and uh we had i don't even know if i ever told you this max but um basically the way the whole thing came about uh for me was uh last year we had richie on the show he was in town for international fight week and uh to promote the the uh that they were going to be doing their first uh season here in las vegas and uh jessica rose clark ufc fighter uh was it is uh the head coach of the program so I, I guess unbeknownst to me, because Frank and I already knew Jesse from doing our podcast and that sort of thing, she and Richie had had a conversation before he came on the show 
that they should talk me into doing it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know about this. So we're just promoting the organization. All of a sudden, Richie's on the air trying to talk me into doing it, you know? <laughs> and I've done a jiu-jitsu tournament, but I'd never, I mean, I'm so old. Like, I'm old, old. And <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm, I'm ripe for a midlife crisis, but this is not the kind that I had in mind, you know? <laughs> so he's pitching me this idea. And uh, I said, when does it start? And he's like, Monday. I think it was Saturday at the time, you know? So anyway, uh, long story short, uh, I did it. And life-changing experience last season. It was incredible. And um, I got knocked out uh, in the, the finale. Fight was over almost before it began. Uh, as our uh, comedian friend Butch Bradley so delicately likes to point out, he claims that the cage door was not completely shut. <laughs> he claims that. No, I didn't. See, no one. No one's uh, backing that up. That's what he claims. Um, but the coolest thing about the program was, as soon as that happened, I immediately wanted to do it again. You know, I wasn't like I was like, okay, I got so and I got so much from doing it. That the finale was really kind of incidental. Like, yeah, of course I want to win, but the whole process of everything mm-hmm. that I achieved, you know, so I was like, I'm immediately want to do this again. And Richie was kind enough to invite me back. So anyway, that gets us to our second season. But this season, um, we're over at Extreme Couture. And while Jessica Rose Clark is still the head coach, uh, you're the jiu-jitsu coach. And uh, Mike Hobby is doing the wrestling, who's an incredible this guy, I mean, some point we got to have him on. This guy's taught me so much about wrestling, which I, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, I did not go to North Carolina State, say the least. So uh, I knew zero about wrestling, and he's been very helpful with that. But uh, that's uh, that. So now we're about halfway through it. We've gotten into like we're starting to get into our our heavy sparring phase and all that. And then our finale actually just got announced. Uh, it's going to be uh, October twelfth. Yeah. Uh, here in Las Vegas. So that that's the overview. If anybody wants to check this out, and I always say, please, just go to the website, wimptowarrior.com, and uh, look it over. And if you have any questions, Frank and I have already had several listeners to the podcast have signed up in other cities and competed, which is really cool because you hear their stories and all that. So if anybody's got any questions about it, if you want to hear the perspective of somebody who's done it now twice, just uh, DM me, and uh, I'll answer any questions you got about it. But anyway, all that being said, I want to find out because I'm always curious when the 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 pro fighter gets introduced to Wimp to Warrior and then especially gets involved in it and all that kind of stuff. So how did you get involved and in, uh, then we'll get into your thoughts about it. So I got involved because uh, so Jessica was asking all the coaches like uh, Eric, mm-hmm. Eric Nixick, Dennis, yep. uh, who at Extreme would be the best coaches to do this. Who would who would want to do like the Wimp to Warrior thing. And I had already been, I was teaching Nogi at Drysdale at the time and then uh, hadn't started teaching kids, but I was teaching kids class at Extreme every once in a while when Mm -hmm. the instructor wasn't there. And then uh, I was teaching some of the Gi and Nogi classes. And I also, uh, I'll teach pro team practice at Extreme too as well when uh, Dennis is out of town. Mm -hmm. So I was always, I I wasn't like coaching at any one specific place like very consistently, but I was kind of all over the place. Mm -hmm. If someone needed me to to coach, I was doing it. And then... uh, so I kind of quickly got like a decent reputation for being able to coach pretty well, being pretty personable and stuff. So uh, the first person that uh, I guess Eric told Jessica was that it would be me and then mm-hmm. Hobby was mm-hmm. another one. And uh, Jessica asked me if I would do it. I didn't bat an eye. I said, yeah, of course, I'd love to do it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that was pretty much it. I didn't really know what to expect. Yeah. But uh, it's and then, been fun. Okay. It's been fun. So you didn't know what to expect, and then you show up, and uh, you show up see the first what's couple, happening here. Yeah, I thought there would be more people, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. thought that we'd have a little bit better smaller group turnout. this year yeah, than there was last group, year. Yeah. But uh, definitely nothing's really caught me by surprise. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, it's hard. I, I gotta for I don't know if I would be able to do what you guys do as far, especially some of the other people who have no background or have like are barely even fans of the sport. Yeah, just kind of find it and they start doing it. It's hard. I, for me, I wish I'd just have you guys more than once a week. Yeah. But it is what it is. Uh, yeah, and that what he's talking about is it's a five-day-a-week program, but he's got a designated jiu-jitsu day, and then Jesse's got – she's there a couple of days for striking and wrestling and all that. So it's it's segmented, and there's a sparring day and all that. What yeah, but about. it's yeah. fun. I've learned a lot about myself in this. Like I was just talking uh, to someone, I think, last week about it because uh, I actually think – because now that I teach kids and then I teach adults mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. I have I have kids as young as four, kids seventeen, and then I also have ki- uh, adults who are forty, fifty. Some mm-hmm. of I do privates for people who are like fifty, fifty-five, and so you gotta have a complete different style. And I was telling someone the other day because I like to cuss. Mm-hmm. It's much easier for me to talk to adults because I can be my authentic self. Oh, yeah. I can't really do that with kids. Yeah. And I'm still trying to learn and try to be able to get through to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause like when I think one of my first, well, I think one of my first words was fuck. Like mm. that's just how I, I was raised, but mm-hmm. I realized that it's, it's, they're not my kids. So I can't, <laughs> I can't cut that. <laughs> but like, it's just taboo. It's, it, it, it that's yeah. just how I authentically talk. So it's easier for me yeah. to talk. I have a hard time like bringing the kids in and like giving like a motivational speech or something like a uh-huh. full, like, you know me, I like to talk about more philosophy than anything uh-huh. else and like uh-huh. try to like relate it to everything. Yeah. I do that very well when I can say whatever I want. Yeah. Not with the kids. I can't, I can't yeah. do that. Ma- makes sense. <laughs> what, what about introducing people to jujitsu? Because that, by the way, I saw you, uh, Frank and I were over at Drysdale's a couple of uh, days ago and I saw your kids class. It's really good because with kids, and I don't have any kids myself, so it's always interesting to me to watch kids when they do martial arts because, of course, it's kids. It's got to be fun. It's got you know you can't make it work, but at the same time, they're learning technique and they're also doing things that can be dangerous if you're not keeping a close eye on it and monitoring what they're doing and what they know and everything. So you did a really good uh, uh, job with that. But like uh, now that you, you know, when you cross over into the the adults and over in Wimp to Warrior and all that like what 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 were the uh what was like the biggest challenge uh about it maybe you weren't thinking about oh wow yeah that's right i am gonna have to break that down i am gonna have to start from that mm-hmm. point uh we talked about it as a coaching staff before yeah. i even met anyone mm-hmm. so i was like kind of i was ready for that oh yeah i actually kind of like surprised myself with how well i was able to uh explain some of the things like i didn't really i'd never explained to someone who had never shrimp before how to shrimp and like really break it down yeah and uh i think it's just because i think about things more as principles or philosophies like as long as like like with shrimping you got to take away friction right so you got to elevate your butt off the ground just a little bit just Mm -hmm. a little bit but if you're not elevating your butt at all you're going to be sliding across the mat which is a lot of friction right Mm -hmm. so i kind of look at things like that yeah, so right. it's easier for me to explain it. Is there anything that's tough to relate to? Like I always when I so when I did it last year, I had such a challenge with striking. That was so Frank can tell you. I mean, it was just like so it didn't make the the whole concept is counterintuitive. Some hard object is coming at you 
and you're, you rather than move away from it, you're going to l- kind of look it in the eye and counter program what's mm. happening. I mean, that whole process has to sort of be torn down and then built back up, right? And then it's interesting to me this year, now that I'm the wily old veteran of the group, <laughs> but it is like I see people who are at that same spot that I was last year, and that's where I didn't realize I got so much out of the first season until I did the second season for reasons like that. Because now I'll see that happen, and I'll be like, oh, I know exactly what is happening. This person, that's exactly what happened with me, and it's going to get better, and here's how it's going to get better, mm-hmm. and here's what you got to do, and stuff like that. Was there anything sort of like that? Because I do think, like, from so the standpoint of somebody who's kind of always known that they've wanted to do this, mm-hmm. is it ever difficult to kind of relate to, well, no, wait a second, not everybody has that mindset that I have. I think when I was a little younger, yeah, when high school and college and stuff, even with with college wrestlers, I was always like, I was always like kind of confused as like why they like didn't want to work harder. They were like complaining about oh, yeah, stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. And like even at that level, I was like, it kind of pissed me off. Like mm-hmm. you're a Division one college wrestler and you're in here complaining. Yeah. So now I think I've I've grown and matured a little bit, and now it's like it doesn't like it used to bother me that like my teammates didn't want to work hard and stuff like that. And now I'm kind of a little bit more understanding. And I think that uh, everyone comes from a different background and everyone has different things. So now I think I'm a little bit more like compassionate. Like I can see when you guys are like struggling mm-hmm. and I try to do a good job of pushing you through that. Yeah. But then also there's, there's too much where it's like you break, you, you want to bend, you don't want to break. Mm-hmm. You want to bend as mm-hmm. far as you possibly can realistic, like ideally as far as I can possibly bend you. But if I break you, you're just going to leave or you're not going to like it. And it's, you're not going to have a good relationship with training Yeah, as especially with adult, adults and kids, both. I want the kids to have a good relationship with training a little harder with the kids though, because, uh, I think kids, especially the kids who are uh, affording, their parents are affording $150 a month for a whole, for several years. Mm-hmm. I think that, that's a lot of money to me. Oh yeah. They don't have, most of, the, most of my kids don't have anything hard in their life. Yeah. So I kind of try to make it a point to make sure it's hard because I don't think you grow if something's not hard. Yeah, if you right, go right. your entire life and nothing's hard, or you go until you're 18 and nothing's hard, you're in for a rude awakening. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I try to find a good balance between that i think a lot of times my my natural reaction is going to be like if something's hard or if you don't get it like suck mm-hmm. it up figure it out mm-hmm. but uh i think i've grown in the last couple of years and i think i'm less like that yeah now. I, I always think it's uh it's it's interesting to see to me the success is really measured not necessarily on how i'll say everybody does in their finale fights or something but how many people want to keep training after it's that. the growth is yeah. having a good relationship that's my goal yeah. i i yeah. And it's funny too, on the outside, uh, looking in, like for me, like if I were to lose a fight, I would be so devastated. I would Mm. think that people like would like me less. Mm. And so I realized like, I think some people also, I think other people feel like that too. Like if you lose something and you're supposed to be good at something, Mm -hmm. like if you lose, you think people, cause that's your identity kind of people will think, Oh my God, like what are they going to think or whatever? Yeah. With, uh, you guys, it's like. I think there's definitely at least one or two of you guys that like if you guys lost the finale you would think like that mm-hmm. but i want to make sure they know that it's like it doesn't that doesn't matter it's the process like yeah. your family's still going to love you mm-hmm. there's we're also going to care about you we also want to be your teammate we still all want to train together and stuff like that i think that's a super important 
thing to talk about. I had this one moment, Frank, early on with uh, one of the guys that's training that, you know, he he uh, he knew I'd done it the year before and all that, and and it was a little more experience with him, stuff like that. And sometimes when you're a little more experienced, you can share, just even on a basic level. Here's a little thing I know, you know, that kind of thing. So we're kind of having that that experience, you know. And he goes, man, he goes, so you, so what was your fight like last year? I'm like, oh, I got knocked out right away. And he was just like, oh, damn. Like, the, 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 because you could tell in his mind, he must have been thinking, man, this guy must have tore it up if he's coming back yeah, to defend yeah, yeah. his title. And when he found that out, you could just see this look was like, oh, no. Like, uh, but to me, that's part of the, you know. It's definitely more about the process. Yeah. But it also takes, like, someone who's very self aware to realize that. Yeah. You know, you got to be pretty self-aware when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, I've been telling Frank for a while. I just think it's going to sound better when I tell my stories at the old folks' home if I talk about my multiple <laughs> fight career. Because it's one day you yeah, just have yeah. one fight, but I'm going to emphasize the S. I'm going to be like the fights yeah, I that I had. Fights. Yeah, I, I can't, you know, breaking them down, this one versus that one. Well, what Max is talking about, it's weird because if you have a competitive nature to want to push yourself, the idea that it's okay with – not that you're ever okay with, but you you have to you have to learn how to live with failure. Yeah, because inevitably it occurs. Whether it's in a practice, even if you have an undefeated fight career, there are times you still got your ass kicked in practice. Yeah, you know I mean, many like, times, right? Many times. And so, yes. if you're that kind of person that like, it, there's such a line of driven. Because I've seen guys, it's like, I'm like, hey, you got your ass handed to, eh. I'm like, oh, well, fuck, you're never going to be yeah. any good mm -hmm. because you don't care. Like it doesn't bother you. Mm -hmm. Then you see the other guy who like cares so much that he got his ass handed to him in practice he doesn't show up anymore yeah his solution to well if i don't show up i don't get my face rubbed across the fucking mat up and down when my girlfriend's over there watching you know what i mean like mm. so there's that fine line and it's really that's the part of like being a fighter that that's the part people don't want to do I, that's I the hardest part yeah I, I think part. when people talk about oh you get punched in the face or you get hit i'm all nah there's a lot of fucking crazy sports out there skateboarders get hurt way fucking worse than mm. i've ever been hurt mm. those dudes we can go on youtube right now and i'll tell you if, so you like can find snap. the craziest yeah. those guys having arms pointing the other mm. direction legs i mean there are some horrendous accidents on a skateboard so physical injury but if i ask one of those kids hey do you want to fight do you want to get in there it's like you mean get my ass kicked it's like it's the ego yeah. it's that part of it that you guys are overcoming by going in there that most people just can't get over they either have too little too much but that fine point of having enough of an ego to care but not so much that it buries you it's mm. that's and it's a constant dance that i think everybody that i know of Dude, I'm 40 years old and I still juggle with it. You know what I mean? Back and forth where mm -hmm. sometimes it's, fuck, I don't want, you know what I mean? Like bad day here. I'm like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm done. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like mm -hmm. if I can't do it at this level, I don't want to do it anymore. You know? And then mm -hmm. no, but I love it. And I, you know, it's, it's very difficult dance. Mm -hmm. No, it's a good point. Cause it, it, you, you know, the, to me, even if you lose in that final contest, You've, you've won the war of attrition just by all those days that you've shown up. And like you said, you know, is it, it's, it's maybe, you know, getting punched in the face 
once or you know a couple of times versus how many hours of just getting ground down and wearing yourself out and feeling like you know you just got nothing left in the tank that's that's what my girlfriend said to me like when you got done with the finale she's like i just the fact that you got up five days a week at 6 a.m for five yeah. months mm -hmm. you know that's and that's true when i look back on it i mean that's nothing i would be just wanting to do anyway you know, so that's like you've already. There's been like a whole series of victories. You know, you know what I'm saying by that point. What I was impressed with was I remember my first time boxing as an amateur. I was still in my teens. Yeah. And when people weighed in, and we showed up later because you'd we weigh in in the morning, and then at night it was the the tournament. You know, we had guys not show up. You know, other kids. Oh that yeah, yeah. Weighed in, and all of a sudden, like, in fact, one of the guys I was supposed to fight didn't show up, and I got stuck with a guy that was much closer to two hundred pounds, even though he was taller than I am. He was going to fight like light heavyweight, you know, you know, like one ninety and down. And I was, you know, and uh, and so they stuck him with me because my guy said, "Screw this." Uh -huh. So here's a guy that trained every day, went to the gym, and when it came that final, okay, now it's time. Are you going to step in there? Your family's going to come watch. People backed out, and I was actually surprised when I went to the thing. I, I, in the back of my mind, I'm like, "There's gonna be one or two of these dudes ain't gonna show up." You know what I mean? Like, one or two are gonna pull up lame on an injury and go, "Ah, you know, fuck." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, Frank, that's, Frank won't say my name because he's being nice, but that's what he was thinking. <laughs> he was like, he told his wife, "Oh, we're going to this thing. He'll be at no." Home. On the flip side, I actually tried to talk him out of it because he had a pretty serious injury. <laughs> yeah. I remember had a, we, we dropped me off and I, we, you know, we were carpooling and I got out of the car and I like, looked at him because he's telling me what's going on with his thigh, what he's been dealing with for like last three weeks. And I'm like looking at him, I'm like, Richard, I've taken fights with broken hands and, and, and injuries and AC joints that are, you know, sprained. Um, I get paid, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm at a point in my life where it's like, you know, I could say no to the fight because I'm hurt, but, but then I got to explain to my kids that they're not in private school the rest of the year. You know, I'll take the fight injured, you know, I'm like, you're not in that situation. You, you know, if you really have a bad, you have a pretty serious injury going on here. It could affect your work. Yeah. Or, what you do or you, then yeah, you get hurt even yeah. hard, worse. And then it's like, can't now train. you got to fucking limp the rest of your life and now yeah. you can't even do martial arts on a regular level i'm mm. all for what i mean you're, you're not already, healthy yeah, yeah i'm like you know important. like uh, so i mean i was like you know i really evaluated if you don't think you can be at least 90 percent mm -hmm. there's no harm in, in pulling out especially because what's lost it isn't yeah. like we're going to turn the lights off at the house you know yeah. well in terms of everybody showing up i think that's one thing that's a really good testament to the program is that because to me all of the confidence building takes place in those months leading up to it. So, yeah, of course, you can be nervous and you want to win, but maybe you won't. And, you know, that's all tense. It's a tense day when you have the finale. But I was surprised at how calm I actually felt doing it because of all the preparation leading up to it. You know, you know what helps? Here's the one thing about the program. That I told you not to let me out the door. That's why I told Frank. I go, okay, here's your number one job. I said, just stand by the cage door in case I try to run out. You block the door. Yeah. No, one thing that's good about the Wimp to Warrior, that that it's a step in between fighting for real. Yeah, yeah right, right. Okay? Yeah. And when I say that, it's not a diss towards the Wimp to Warrior. People going, well, you know, well, the fuck, I'm fighting for real. I'm like, you're, you're fighting your sparring real. partner. Yeah. 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 Right. Like, I see Max all the time in the gym. I see Robert, right? Mm -hmm. Robert is a fucking ninja jiu-jitsu, right? He doesn't make me nervous to look at him. Mm -hmm. Now, if we go to another school right now, and I go to a seminar, and I jump in, and I walk in, there's a bunch of purple belts on the mat. They're like, hey, we're going to roll. 
I get a little nervous. Mm -hmm. There's that little yeah. twinge of unfamiliarity. You know, and it's kind of like you could be with your girl, right? I don't care if she's a 10. If you've already slept with her for the last couple months, she doesn't make you nervous anymore. But the first time you hooked up with her, I guarantee your heart was pounding. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's new. It's nervous. And that's one thing about when you go to fight that this isn't replicating completely mm -hmm. is that, you know, you don't know the other guy. You haven't, mm -hmm. you haven't, you know, acclimated yourself yeah. to him. Whereas the Wimp to Warrior, the fact you guys train together, I think helps that that's stat. True. Yeah, of okay well, it's like does. i'm out there i'm fighting but i'm fighting richie i know yeah. him regardless if you could kick my ass or not i know you makes people more comfortable i mean think about it that's why guys beat their wives or why you know guys are most likely to fuck up their friend than they are a stranger yeah. it's like well why because you're familiar with this guy he's more mm -hmm. comfortable the stranger scares you because you don't know it's the unknown you know mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how much experience or how good you get you always feel that oh, yeah I, dude i I'm, especially now it's like i've competed at the highest level of wrestling and jiu-jitsu and like in practice i don't i obviously i get hard rounds but like i feel very confident in practice with it doesn't matter who it is yeah but like in my fights i'm always like i'm like what if this guy out grappled me mm. the chances of him out grappling me is very very low but i'm still like that still scares the shit out of me mm. so it's like the same thing it's like yeah does that never that'll never go away that makes sense yeah that familiarity helps although that was a curious analogy you drew i'm gonna look at at sparring differently tomorrow <laughs> look, look at darnell and be like I'm, i've been banging you for three months now dude you're all pussy at this point <laughs> <laughs> all right uh let's uh, to it let's see let's talk a little mma before we get to uh, mikey's news um uh we got a big fight coming up this weekend guys uh colby covington is going to be taking on uh robbie lawler in the main event on uh espn five and uh, this surprised some people because they were thinking, well, you know, maybe Covington uh, uh, gets a, a title shot and uh, after he had the interim belt and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, no, he got the Robbie Lawler uh, matchup. But he's, uh, he's up to his old tricks, Colby is, in terms of his uh, trash talk. I don't know if you saw, Frank, that uh, he's hoping that uh, Donald Trump Jr. attends the fight because, you know, he's closely associated himself with the Trumps now and he yeah. wears the hat and all that kind of – we were talking about this, I guess, hosted MMA Junkie the other day. Mm. And uh, they were – we were talking about it, right, about whether or not it's – because they were saying – that they went on one of these military trips with, like USO trips, you know, a couple of years ago or something. And he's like the like the quietest, shyest guy, and he's just kind of gotten a hold of a gimmick that's working and getting him a lot of attention, you know, and put the hat on and all that kind of stuff. So my my feeling with stuff like this is always like, okay, well, if if that's what you want to do, that's cool. But I want to hear more about it. Like, don't just don't just wear the hat. I want you to break down your whole philosophy of uh you know why supporting this kind of, i know exactly i think that's probably where the conversation ends right i think so i want to see commitment to the character i want to see commitment to the bit you got to go balls deep or just be your authentic self i think yeah i just i think you he possibly could do a lot better if he was just authentic mm -hmm. and people would like it might take a little longer because you're mm -hmm. not getting that instant gratification of the Instagram likes that you're getting for with the girl that you paid the do the video with or whatever that he's doing. Yeah. Like you might get like instant gratification yeah. from that. But I yeah. think in the long run, if he was more authentic, he probably could end up getting a little bit more attention, assuming he has any bit of personality. Yeah. Well and also you don't get tripped up that way because, you know, if you're if you're doing 
what's authentic to you, you don't have to worry about getting off script, mm-hmm. flubbing your lines. You don't have to orchestrate it and think about how you're because to me, it's always apparent. Like if you're if if you're not really able to pull it off at some point, and everyone 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 apparent. in the MMA scene that is trained with him or knows anyone that knows him knows he's very quiet and like yeah, not yeah. witty, not very smart. Yeah, and everyone's just like. Yeah, and then, good for you for putting on the show, but yeah. man, you could probably get more attention if you were authentic. Yeah, and then you know you've got the uh, the the opposite of that in Robbie Lawler, which is a guy who's just kind of always you know been what he was. And he's and, his true self. Yeah, exactly. And everyone exactly. still loves him for it. Makes he's a, a lot of, Yeah, makes a lot of fans that way. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys think about the fight? You think there's uh, any any chance of Colby just uh, out wrestling him? Uh? Lawler's wrestling defense is good. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. he's yeah. hard to mm-hmm. take down. Yeah, he is extremely. I think he has a very underrated. I mean, if people aren't acknowledging his takedown defense. You know, even though he doesn't want to take you down because he wants to punch your face off. Yeah, uh, he uses his. I mean, he has a solid wrestling background. I mean, he, he's, he's not easy to put on his back. I mean, I watched uh, uh, Big Rigs, you know, uh, shoot on him, what, 20 times in their last yeah. fight, 18 attempts in on the legs. I mean, you, that's a national champion wrestler. Yeah, Couldn't put him down, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, I mean, I, I'm thinking that uh, this might be a bad fight for Colby, <laughs> to be yeah. honest with you. A guy that he might not really put his on the ground and a guy who still has a good chin and hits hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other side of that, I think uh, if I had to pick, it'd be Covington. Mm-hmm. But I think it's because the way he strikes and clinches with his wrestling. Mm-hmm. He doesn't uh, – and he has a really, really good gas tank. So I don't think he's going to be able to take Robbie down. Yeah. And if he does, he's probably not going to be able to hold him down. But just the way he level changes and strikes with his wrestling, there's not a lot of guys that are doing that right now. Mm-hmm. And the guys that are doing it are able to push a really high pace – Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, I don't think uh, Robbie's going to gas out by any means, but I think that uh, Colby could surprise some people as far as uh, striking on the feet and clinching and striking. Well, yeah. I've always felt that was more of Robbie's weakness because he's such an explosive athlete. But he hits so hard that people do give him his space. Mm-hmm. I've watched rounds where I'm like, the other guy, I'm like, dude, he's he, he's tired. Like, go after him. And Colby puts on that pace. And he yeah. and people don't go after him because they're like, ah, oh, man, the guy has a straight left hand from hell still. Mm-hmm. If he hits me with it, it'll hurt me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you've seen there's times where Robbie's won rounds just by hunkering down in his stance and kind of shaking his head and he doesn't really throw much mm-hmm. but guys don't want to engage because they've already felt his power so if colby can get over that and push the pace pushing the pace on robbie i think is one way to get a you know a, an advantage over him yeah after a round or two of uh even if it's just clinch grappling and he's in his face uh robbie's punching power kind of goes out the window mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it's like you can't if if he's if he's tired he has a lot of lactic acid in his muscles how is he gonna get that one big shot and it's gonna mm-hmm. keep getting worse and worse when well, robbie's smart he's a veteran fighter yes. he pulls back and then saves up for those explosive movements mm-hmm. you've seen it to where he's still you know yeah, he crushed uh i mean it's going back maybe four or five years now but when he crushed uh, uh roy mcdonald's eye socket there was, I think, in the fourth round, he kind of, if I remember correctly, he took it off. Almost, yeah, he takes it off. Yeah. He took off the round yeah. and then came back with enough power to crush the guy's face yeah. with a shot late, you know. And so, but he had to take it off, and Roy allowed him to take it off. Mm-hmm. He also was not able to make him okay. Well, if you're tired, I can't let you just sit here and and march on me and and get your rhythm back and catch your breath. Yeah. Also, the co-main event. 
Clay Guida and Jim Miller. Boy, this is the 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 workman's uh, uh, main event here. I mean, talk yeah. about a couple of uh, uh, grinders. And I wouldn't how- want to be friends with either one of them. I'm like, I'm friends with Clay, yeah. but I mean, that's a fight that like if you're like that's either one of their wives or you know girlfriends. Man, that's no one's coming through that fight unscathed. Yeah. yeah. They're yeah. both going to fuck it. It's be a brutal fight. I don't know who's going to win, but it's going to be brutal. Yeah, and is it surprising to find out those two guys have not fought before? I yeah. was kind of surprised. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about how long they've been around, how active they've been, how many fights they've had, and just for whatever reason, they have just not crossed paths. Just how deep that weight class is. Yes. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's a fun fight. I'm, uh, yeah, because, I mean, they both got to be closing in on 20 fights apiece, right? Yeah, let's, and just the UFC. Yeah, just yeah. the UFC. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean Clay. Uh, this is going to be uh, this is going to be his fifty fourth fight overall. But in the UFC, I'll bet he's had more than twenty fights in the UFC. I'd have to count them up. But uh, yeah, and I'm sure Jim Miller very much. Yeah, uh, Jim's. I didn't even. I, I, I want to say I thought he fought six times in one year. Even. Yeah, yeah I, I think Jim at one point had the most fights. Yes, he's at one point. I he, don't think it does anymore. Yeah, but. he's one of those guys that's always at the top of like the endurance categories, yeah. like most fights, most cage minutes, mm-hmm. and uh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Jim Miller is uh, 44 fights total for him. So, uh, yeah, almost 100 fights between these two guys. Incredible. All right, Mikey, shall you, uh, will you favor us with uh, some headlines? This is the part sure. where uh, Mikey presents his news segments. I'm actually, you don't know this. We, we call Mikey Porno Mikey because uh, he films uh, pornography. He's actually a professional pornography uh, uh, pornographer. Kept, cinematographer. Is that what they call you guys? <laughs> pornographer. You want, if you were, you don't get Oh, it's just pornography. That's what it says on your <laughs> card, pornographer. pornographer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. What do you got for us today? Well, uh, speaking of skeezy sex stuff, our old friend R. Kelly. Um, well, actually, not R. Kelly's in the noon. Oh, his, yes. His rep, uh, yes. Daryl Johnson. Daryl Johnson. We oh, I love that guy. Him. He resigned in disgrace. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> because, and he said that he would not trust his daughter alone with R. Kelly on live TV. Yeah. Um, he says he did not resign for that reason. He does, He resigned for personal matters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's not good enough reason to resign? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said that he misspoke and he should have said that he meant to say that, yes, he could trust you know his daughter with R. Kelly, but uh-huh. he wouldn't leave his daughter alone with uh, not anyone. just any old pedophile. Not just any old just, pedophile. No. Yeah. So here's here's a little uh, here's the clip of uh, yeah. of him saying it right now. Yeah. Okay. He would have his day in court, and they would have to bring the evidence, and that's what has to be done. If the evidence stick, Mr. Keller would spend the rest of his life in the penitentiary. You have a twenty-something-year-old daughter. Would you allow her to be alone with? with Absolutely R- not. With R. Kelly. Yeah, you said that way I too fast. Where you were coming? You knew the answer. <laughs> I would not leave my daughter with anyone that's accused of being a pedophile. I would not. That doesn't seem like a contradiction to you. You're absolutely sitting here defending R. Kelly, but at the same time saying you wouldn't leave your own daughter with him. I wouldn't leave my daughter with anyone. I'm going to say it again. That's accused of being a pedophile. All right. You started at the beginning talking about Mr. Kelly's mental health. What so I love that. about Daryl Johnson, and it's sad that I mean we we hardly knew him, and now he's gone from the public eye. He's gone eye. before, just as quickly as he came. Just as quickly. <laughs> but what I loved about him, the moment I saw him, was that he makes one bad point after another, but then when he makes it, he looks at you like, hmm? "Gotcha, <laughs> that's a pretty smart point, isn't it?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. you want to talk about like 
the scrape in the bottom of the barrel, the depth chart of crisis managers <laughs> that R. Kelly has to go into now. Like who? Like where? Once you fire, or once Daryl Johnson resigns, where do you go from there? I, I mean, who's taking that phone call? <laughs> I, I mean, money's money. I get it. Yeah, but at a certain point, you're like, all right. Yeah. Unless he's going to pay you so much that you yeah. don't have to run your company anymore, yeah. do you want to have that on your resume that yeah. you represented Art Kelly? You know what I mean? And At a certain point, you're like, well, you know, everybody deserves a job. I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I, I realize you're guilty till proven, you're innocent mm-hmm. till proven guilty. But I mean, fuck, come on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, no. Well, uh, <laughs> earlier in that clip, I, sh- I shouldn't have closed it so quick, mm-hmm. but um, he, R. Kelly is basically broke and. Daryl Johnson said, well, he has royalties trickling in. So he's barely surviving off of, like, whatever royalties he's got. So yeah, you even, like, I don't know if he – I mean, I don't know what Daryl Johnson was getting paid, obviously, but it couldn't have been. It I, couldn't have been much. I'm sure he was doing it for as a favor, you know, or, or something. There's maybe to build fame. his brand. Any, any yeah. publicity yeah. is good publicity. <laughs> yeah, that, that one. <laughs> uh, you know, I uh, I told Frank that uh, you know now that Daryl Johnson is a free agent, I was hoping John Jones might retain his services so that we could continue <laughs> to be entertained by him. Oh. I would like to see him pop up, and I would also just like to see Dana White have to deal with Daryl Johnson. Like every time, some oh god, this again, you know. Yeah. We'd have to have like a, a skin uh, uh, chart just for the different uh, shades of uh, oh, Dana's forehead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, he got him up to a three yeah. today. <laughs> what else you got, Mikey? Uh, let's see. Uh, Bernie was actually in some trouble for uh, he alleged some one of his staffers uh, filed a complaint to the labor board because he was doing some. Uh, union busting, and he allegedly fired three staffers for uh, attempting to unionize or or for union activities. So he got in a little bit of trouble, and a lot of uh, a lot of press came down on him because he's obviously very pro labor and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, so a lot of people were upset about him. And he another thing that happened is that was he getting under? He was getting criticized for not paying people fifteen dollars an hour. Right. So what he did was he uh, instead of paying them. He cut their hours so that they would, because they were on salary base. So he cut their hours back so they oh, would yeah. be getting fifteen dollars an hour. So a lot of people were making fun of him because he did exactly what uh, he would think businesses should not do. Yeah, to the second charge, and you'll hear this sometimes when somebody will say, uh, "Well, you know, uh, there should be a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage," which I think there should be. That somebody will say, "Well, you know, what what do they pay them?" But the point is. That it's sort of like when somebody says, oh, why don't you voluntarily pay more in taxes then? That's always kind of this zinger line. Mm -hmm. But I think the bigger point is I'm campaigning against my own interests if I have that money, if I fall in that tax bracket, and I'm campaigning for my taxes to be raised or my minimum payment that I have to make an employee uh, or as an employer $15 an hour. So yeah, true. You can you can point out the fact that I don't do that voluntarily, but I am still campaigning to have it done. The interesting thing to me about Bernie Sanders uh, so far in this uh, primary is that he's kind of getting out Bernie'd by Elizabeth Warren. She's the new Bernie Sanders and uh, and gaining a lot of momentum. Yeah, I think, I think the trend now is how left can you go and he was the far left guy now he's kind of getting he stood out last election because mm-hmm. he was super far left now everyone is kind of far left and he's just kind of i think getting lost in the shuffle and plus there's what 20 people well yeah yeah yeah, yeah there's a everybody's trying to find their find their uh lane there's also these pitfalls that you can fall into like and i 
you know, I sort of wrestle with the question, like a question was posed to him uh, a few weeks ago about should a convicted felon have their voting rights uh, taken away? And he says no, because that's just a constitutional right. And it's tough. It's one of those things where if I really sit down and break it down fundamentally, I probably agree with that. I probably agree that that's one right that should not be touched. But it's so tricky because politically, as soon as you say that, somebody goes, oh, you think the Unabomber ought to be voting? Like you're specifically wanting the Unabomber to vote. You know, I mean, it's like there's very few of those kinds of people compared to all of the people who are uh, who are incarcerated. But I do understand that, and I think politically, I would probably resist that. I would probably stop short of that and say, no, they probably shouldn't. And um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess there's seven instances of unfair labor practices that were brought up against him, including I think he fired three people, allegedly, for supporting or joining a union hmm. in his campaign. Well, but his campaign people are they are unionized, so he yeah. does have that. But I guess they he fired three people for doing that. Well, allegedly. that's what the system is there for, mm-hmm. you know. And he'll he'll have to defend himself against that. Yeah. Well, and then there was uh, let's see, Mario Lopez came into some news today. I saw that. He yeah. oh, let me get rid of this one too. I have a great Mario Lopez story, Frank. Sure. You are gonna love this. While uh, Mikey is setting this up, let yeah. me let me drop this in real quick. All right. So back in about, I don't know, this is probably like 2009, Mario Lopez was good friends with Joe Francis, the Girls Gone Wild guy. Mario Lopez married a woman. She was famous for something. I can't remember what she did. She was on a TV show or something. But he married her, and Oprah Winfrey filmed, like, the the wedding reception. She was going to do, like, a big story about the wedding reception and all this kind of stuff, right? So Joe... Um, we're in LA and, uh, at this, uh, hotel, uh, restaurant and Joe says, Hey, Mario Lopez coming to, uh, meet us to eat dinner. So he shows up and I had never, I didn't know Mario before. And so, uh, Joe is going, uh, they're obviously talking about something that's of urgence and urgency. And Joe's like, Oh, you can tell him, you can, it's okay. You can tell him what's going on. And Mario Lopez explains that he is already separated from his wife after being married for like a few weeks because Joe threw his bachelor party and the wife found out about through some sort of errant message that was left on voicemail somehow she wasn't supposed to hear or something that all this debauchery had gone down. She had split up with him. But what he was most concerned about is that the Oprah segment had not aired yet. So it just in the however many weeks it was going to take to put the thing on television, by the time it aired on Oprah, the wedding was already uh, dissolved. Yeah. What's he in the news for today? Uh, Mario Lopez was on the Candace Owens show at, on uh, PragerU. Yeah. Um, and he basically said that he, fear, he doesn't believe you should listen to your three-year-old when they say that, they're the different gender. Um, here's the quote. He says, I'm trying to understand it myself, and please don't lump me, lump me into that whole group, Lopez responded. I'm kind of blown away, too. Look, I've never wanted to tell anyone how to parent their kid, and obviously I think if you come from a place of love, you really can't go wrong. But at the same time, my God, if you're three years old and you're saying you're feeling a certain way or you think you're a boy or a girl, whatever the case may be, I just think it's dangerous as a parent. 
to make this determination then. Well, okay, then you're going to be a boy or a girl, whatever the case may be. It's sort of alarming, and my gosh, I just think about the repercussions later on. And he was, and he did walk back those statements and yeah. was kind of forced to apologize by, by right. people. So, so I guess the question is then, people, are, are you making... Hold on. People got upset about that? Yes, they did. And, he, and, he, kind of and he did apologize. He, he, out of all, there was a bunch of backlash. What? I guess people wanted to, you know, I don't know what show he has on or whatever, but people wanted him canceled and all that. And he did apologize and said that he was ignorant. And a lot of this came because How? Charlize Theron has a seven-year-old who I guess is yeah. out as transgender or something. He kind of they were kind of brought that up, and he just thought that was a little young to be making that determination. And well, well, um, my thoughts on it are as far as any kind of like. Until you hit puberty, I mean, we have had psychologists prove that that's where more of a definitive mindset of where your mm -hmm. sexuality is going to set upon. And I get that you have certain tendencies at a younger age to start going that way, but you're a little kid. To make any kind of permanent decisions, I wouldn't make you make a permanent, that'd be like, I wouldn't let my three-year-old say, I really like the army, I'm signing up now. So when I turned 17, I made a decision now. It's like, holy shit, that's a, major decision why don't we wait till we get older yeah. and not go ahead and cast our vote just yet let's leave it ambiguous let's keep mm -hmm. that open because you're a kid and things go back and forth you might think you're a girl today you might think you're a boy tomorrow fuck if i know we don't understand enough about the human mind and, and that'd be my only thing is i i think i understand what he's saying right that a three-year-old it's like i wouldn't all of a sudden go get my kid on hormone treatment he says he feels like a girl it's like He's a fucking kid. Relax. Right. You know what I mean? Like, let let this play out. It's not ruining anything if he just, you know, if he wants to wear a dress, fucking let him wear a dress, I guess. But like, nothing permanent. I would never allow him to have a surgery. I mean, well, I wouldn't. But that's, not, but that's not what we're talking about, though, is it? I mean, I don't think anybody's talking well, about. Well, if you're making a determination, or, I think. The, yeah. That's well, what how I'm taking that. Like, well, that's the way how I took it too. Uh, is it now? The way that I took it was just whether or not you're. And I mean, maybe this is in need of a point of clarification, but the way that I took it was whether or not you as an adult are making a determination, okay, I will treat you as a female or I will treat you as a male. You know, if that's how you, because I'll say, I'll, put it, I'll just tell you this, so I'll share this perspective. So I know somebody that this is happening to. I, I have a friend who has two, I guess, biologically male twins who are probably, I don't know, they're probably six now, something like that. But one of them, the other one is every kind of thing you would think about a, a boy being. And the other one, as long as I've known him, has just the 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 boy says he's, he's a girl. He likes girl things. He plays with girl, you know, and all that. I mean, there's no surgeries going on or anything like that. But they're also not making a determination. They're not, like, signing off mm -hmm. on anything. They're just not saying that's wrong. Take that off. Don't play yeah, with that. I, I'm okay with that. Like, look, yeah. if you take your kid down the toy aisle, I mean, I did that with Bella. Isabella's a girl, but she never played with girl toys. And, mm -hmm. and Jennifer is about as girly as you can get. Yeah. Her dad wasn't in the picture until she was well into her 20s. Um, she was raised by her mom, who only had a sister, had no brothers. She only has sisters. I mean, I only have sister-in-laws, you know, that biologically. There is no, she didn't grow up with any brothers. So, I mean, my wife is as feminine, girly as you get. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, she puts potpourri fucking packages in our <laughs> fucking drawers at the home where you put clothes. 
whatever. But you uh, enjoy those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't say nothing for a while. I thought I was like, uh, I think my wife's hiding drugs. <laughs> 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 and so, you know, obviously here we have a daughter, and she goes down the aisle. We're at Target, and she wants her to have Barbie, and Bella's not responding to yeah. that shit. And it was funny because we went around the corner on the side. There was an animal doll, like, you know, animal from uh, uh, the Muppets. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? And she sees it, and she goes nuts. She wants it. Mm. Bella wanted the ugliest fucking monsters and just she's always been into more boy shit mm. and you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i didn't make a determination that meant that she wants to be a boy or be a girl it's like oh you like boy shit then fucking get you boy shit yeah if my son wants to play with a fucking doll play with a doll i don't give a mm-hmm. shit you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i don't care but like that's fine but like you know anybody like we talk about like determination like wait a minute are we are we gonna put a stamp on this right mm-hmm. now like you are officially this because I don't want to fucking do any of that yet. I'm going to wait till my kid gets yeah. old enough to make decisions for themselves. You know I, mean, I, mean? I don't think you need to do that. And, you know, the other thing is, too, is, I mean, um, from someone who works in an a industry that sees a lot of sexually repressed individuals, uh, a lot of times the guys with the weirdest kink I work at a brothel. The guys with the weirdest kinks are like the ones who are like the most conservative outwardly or whatever and you can tell that it's just like this guy whether it was religion or you know their conservative family or whatever yeah and so now they're just these you know they're the ones who come in with their full bags of like dresses and makeup and strap-ons and all this kind of stuff that they got to have just to enjoy themselves so i think it's kind of like i think it's like this it's like don't you're not all you're doing is just being supportive, just being a supportive parent. You're not saying this is right, this is right, because it's also not permanent. I mean, that's the other thing. Yeah, too, that's my like, point. It's not permanent. Yeah. You're not getting them on hormones. I mean, I think the same thing on different levels. Like, uh, what show was Jennifer watching on her fucking iPad? And I kind of was half paying attention because I was on my shit. Yeah. And it was like some young girl, some teenager who wasn't of age yet, who wanted breast implants. Yeah. And so she, at first, I'm like, fuck no. Yeah, you're 14 years old. You don't fucking get to have titties that are fake. I'm sorry. Like, I mean, that's surgery. Like, oh, people at school are making fun of me. I'm like, goddamn, first world yeah. problems. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. get over this shit. You know what I mean? Like, no. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, now you're that kid. Like, that's a permanent decision that a 14 year old's mind. That I just, I mean, come on. I can't be the only one that thinks this. This is the reason why we don't allow a 20 year old to bang a 14 year old. Because guess what? I don't care how much she tells me that she's in love with that 20 year old or a boy in reverse. The boy. 14 and the girls 20 we don't allow it because it's like you don't fucking really know what you want man you know what i mean you're 14 years old fuck i didn't know what i wanted until i got into my fucking 30s but at least we'll wait till you get to be 18 and then you can start making some decisions you know what i mean yeah yeah yep Uh, news like this is why i want to go back to kill buck ohio (laughs) (laughs) these are not the uh, headlines of the 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 kill buck tribune this no, we're, we're, just, we're just worried about, uh, I don't know, it's just good old good old boy town. And, like, everyone just kind of, like, if there's, like, if we're growing up and someone wants to, if a boy wants to dress like a girl, it, it is what it is. But we're not going to be talking about, like, or if even if someone has a negative opinion or a positive opinion, uh-huh. no one's bothering everyone about it. Yeah. No one's getting on social media and, like, tweeting it. Each yeah. other like saying like all this horrible thing. This is like we're all human beings. Why don't you just act like it? Yeah. Well, I I think that's why a lot of times like in countries where you see like you know um, uh, you know marijuana decriminalize or you know legalized stuff like that. That it turns out not so many people My, use it. I guess was there something where there was some bar where they were allowing or they did some kind of transgender thing? Someone in passing to the gym was telling me this, 
and it's like an 11 year old that was dancing and they were giving him dollars or something. Oh, yeah. It's a uh, drag, the 11 year old drag kid. And what? Yeah. And See, now that offended the like, fuck yeah. out of me, and not because that I'm against that, drag. That wouldn't in Kill Buck, Ohio. But no, I'm like, nope. dude, if it was an 11 year old girl dancing for a bunch of men, everybody so. would have been offended. Like, the yeah, point is, yeah, it's an 11 year old dancing in a way that she's mocking a sexuality type of situation where, you know what I mean? Like, right. you're pretending to be an adult because adults strippers take their money their clothes off to get paid dollars that's a bad idea right fuck man and then it's like oh you're being homophobic i'm all that has nothing to do with the fucking transgender shit man fucking why is an 11 year old fucking dancing around like it makes no sense to me whatsoever the kid not Uh, here pulling it up right now always love it max you hang around frank long enough you'll see this happen where he forensically pieces together (laughs) like he he goes okay somebody was telling me and then it involved and he'll have like two pieces and they'll start getting on the phone the brain of a guy with adhd because people are talking to me and then i'm choking this guy over here but i'm wondering how i can get out of the argument i had with my wife before we got to the gym (laughs) and then all the phone calls i got to make when we're done so i'm piecing information together i'm never truly in one place at once he found it quick oh my yeah, okay. it's been it's pretty. I guess people like keep calling child protective services on this. Lady, Fuck yeah, like, that's wrong. Which I agree, and but a lot of people are you know saying oh, you that know you're what? homophobic or you're trans, They get bored and they just want to do stupid shit. Okay, yeah. wait a second. Now I have heard. Okay, I've heard of this. Now I haven't heard of the 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 bar dancing incident, but I've heard of the 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 drag uh, the drag queen, eleven year old, and his name is Desmond. Is amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and I guess I mean I don't I don't even want to play a clip, but I mean here's Is this the is this the Oh this is the club? Oh boy. This looks like that video they used to show after John Bonet got killed. Remember that video they'd show all the time? Yeah. Uh. Yeah, yeah, look, there's a bunch of dollars on the, on the stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah this is not good. That's pretty, yeah, I don't want to watch it. But no, you're right. But also, too, I mean, okay, yeah. I'm also against little kid pageants. No, like yeah, John Bonet and yeah. all that shit. Yeah. I think that yeah. shit's sick as fuck, dude. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry if you're into that shit. Like, I, I mean, maybe you happen to be the one, not like my brain that thinks that maybe you're there because your daughter, be- but no, I, I just, no, I can't get over like sexualizing them. Like fuck that. yeah, like, like it's like, yeah. it's just, I see the girls all the makeup on and like fucking nine years old. I'm yeah. like, yeah. dude, whose sick fucking idea was this? This is fucking <laughs> wrong, I, dude. Yeah. You know whose sick idea, like it was someone that was like that though. Yeah. yeah. 100%, that's how that shit yeah. started. Yeah. 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 It was someone that was like that. Yeah. Who, who else, why would, why else would it yeah, be it, a thing? And, and then when shit happens, that, I'm like, yes. that's like if I'm running through the jungle, I'm not taping a fucking stake to my kid's ass. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. There's tigers out there, and I'm not into victim blaming, but at the same time, I'm not trying to fuck, you know what I mean? Like, you know, if I'm out in the water and someone's like, hey, it's that time of the month, I'm like, oh, we're in the ocean. You know what? Maybe we'll go into the shore. You know, like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to make myself more, vi- you know, viable of a victim, you know, and put myself out there. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, why, why bring attention to yourself in that way that negatively and then be mad? It's like, you're right. Bad people shouldn't do bad shit. But at the same time, good people should not be waving a fucking flag. Well, it's my right to do this. I'm like, you're right. You can dress like that. But at two in the morning when everybody's drunk, guess what's going to happen? It's also a difficult proposition to 
separate the issues because I think we all agree this is something that doesn't have anything to do with transgender issues. This mm-hmm. just has to do with bad parenting. Yeah. And yeah. the problem is a lot of times I think when there's like this uber sensitivity about something, it's almost like it, it serves as cover to do something like that. You know, whereas yeah. if it didn't have anything to do it's with that. It's a distraction. It's like, yeah, well, no, you're made, no, no, it's about yeah. this. But yeah. in, in my, in here as a parent, when my kids make decisions, I try to let them know there's repercussions to what they do. Sometimes if they can't grasp that repercussion, I take over. Mm-hmm. I try to have them to where they can steer their own life as much as possible because I feel as a father, my most important task is to teach my children how to operate as human beings once I'm no longer in the picture, how to think critically, how to make decisions, you know? And if you're sitting there and it comes to a decision that my child's gonna make, like I'm gonna quit the baseball team. Okay, these are the repercussions of what could happen by you doing so, your team might look at you this way, you know? Do I still maybe allow them to do it? Maybe. Maybe now we got to go. You can quit the baseball team, but you have to join something else. Football, wrestling. You can't just not be in a sport. If you don't want to play this sport, I get it. But where's the parent telling that kid, going, look, I know you feel this way and you're doing this thing, and I'm not saying you should shun yourself from society, but being a YouTube star at 11 years of age, dressing up the way you are and acting that way, it's like, I'm like, what if your kid was going through a phase? I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Like, And they regret it later. And now they fucking regret it. And you were the parents supposed to be making the logical decisions because, I mean, I dated a girl that I remember when we were in high school, she dressed all in fucking black, the eyeliner, cut herself. She's a fucking normal woman now. She doesn't fucking look anything like that, doesn't dress goth, but she went through a, like, you know, like fucking Marilyn Manson fucking prodigy type phase and it was a phase. Now, is this prom photo exist somewhere? I'd like actually. To see we went this. to homecoming together. I'll I would you. like to see the bad this. part was that she was like eighty-eight pounds, and I was already still two fifty. So <laughs> it looked bad. <laughs> Thank God we're the same age, or I probably yeah, would have been yeah. under investigation. But, but my point being is that, like, you know, people go through things, and as an adult, you know, it's like, you know, like, you know, I teach Bella that society, you know, everybody, all oh, women are equal to men. I'm like. Yes, we want you to be, but at the same time, things aren't there yet. So I don't want to disillusion you to think that things are a certain way and unprepare you. Then when you walk out the front door and go, well, this is the way it should be. And then when it kicks you in the face, come back going, well, how come it's not that way? It's like, well, no, we could fight for things to improve upon. But being unrealistic of where your finger's not on the pulse of where reality is, is also misleading. I think leads to depression. And that's why that group, I think, sometimes has such a hard time with acceptance. It's like within itself, it's like, well, why don't we set up realistic expectations of how far society is going to come along yeah. i mean 40 years ago it wasn't even legal for blacks and whites to get married in all 50 fucking states i mean we are evolving it's getting better absolutely is it where it needs to be no and if you go out there and you say well this is how i want it to be it's fucking fantasy land man shit's not the way we want it to be we've got to work on it but it just can't just you know you can't sit there and go and expose your child to that and go well the world is fair and shit it's like what the fuck are you doing you know like yeah. you can't you know i don't know uh, that upsets me from a parental point of view it's like that's not good parenting yeah, yeah. this would be a fun interview to have we could have uh uh the the i i'd like to do an offshoot of this podcast where it's basically the mirrors interview bad parents like <laughs> like you and jennifer together like we want to do the clarys the uh the the guys that have the girl that's with uh R. Kelly, I yeah. think that would be Well, I mean, you have to have those conversations with kids. I mean, like, simple ones. Not even as crazy as that. Cage wants to, like, shave the sides of his fucking head. 
mm-hmm. grow his hair out top. And I guess some people go, oh, well, it's expression. I'm like, okay. People judge you upon your appearance. And that's something that you have to be taught. I hate when people go, don't judge a book by its cover. Fuck you. The book chose its cover. It's very mm-hmm. natural. You, you, Everyone judges everyone on their appearance. Right. Every single person. You don't not. I won't judge you by the is. color of your skin or how tall you are or if you're fat or skinny because a lot of that's determined by birth, right? Right? If you're six foot five, that wasn't your choice. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, you know, if all of a sudden genetically you're fucking a really heavy guy, I mean, we can get into arguments about how much of his choice, but I mean, let's face it. I know guys that try to eat good and they're heavy, and I know guys that eat like shit mm-hmm. and are skinny as fuck. You know what I mean? Like certain physical appearances I'm not going to blame you for, and I'm not going to judge you off of because, eh, a lot of that was predetermined. But the T-shirt, the shoes, your haircut, the mm-hmm. facial jewelry, the tattoos on your body – those are all choices you fucking made, and I will absolutely judge you. If you walk in, we were fucking the, uh, in California, one of the parks, some kid was walking around with his pants on the back of his fucking knees. They were sagging so low. I mean, his hands were straight holding the front of it. I looked at him and go, huh, that kid's a dirtbag. Mm-hmm. Right there, you might be fucking the next valedictorian on your way off to fucking college, but your pants are fucking, I can see your boxers, I can see the skin on your thighs, your pants are hanging so low, I don't even know how like someone can't, fucking security doesn't get involved, but in my brain, and, and that kid's parents should taught him like, hey, you can express yourself that way, but people are gonna think you're a scumbag. You have to deal with the repercussions. Deal with as the repercussions. As you're able to do that, you're good. Yeah. And then what 12-year-old really understands the repercussions of that action of yeah, what that kid is doing. I would, go, going back to Cage's example, though, I would argue that there's also a side to that that is a learning experience. Because um, if you, I think there is strength through individualism. I think one of two things happens. You either do it. And uh, maybe you just don't like the way it looks, the way it comes out. Plus, he's got a nice full head of hair right now. It's, it's got a good look going on. It looks like a fucking lion. Yeah, but let's just let's set that aside, my personal prejudice aside. Um, yeah, say you do it. Maybe you just don't think it looks that good, and that's that's okay. Learn that lesson. You know, I mean, go ahead and learn the lesson of when you put on something you think looks good and it kind of doesn't go over the way you thought it would. Or maybe you do it. And you get some uh, grief from people or some teasing or something like that. And maybe you care. And if you care, then you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to do this again. And I'm going to take that in consideration. Or, and this is the one that hits closer to my home, maybe you do it and it becomes, it becomes a badge of honor. So in other words, I encountered lots of times in school by you know ways I would look ways I would I mean I didn't always look so normal like I do now uh it's okay you smile <laughs> Max like what the fuck normal uh no but uh, uh I'm being ironic but but looking off beat which I always have to some degree or another what it became for me was oh no this is my decision and you being uh, the sheep that you are, I'm making, you're nervous just because I'm not fitting in with everybody else. So here's the deal. I'm not moving and you're going to deal with it. And then you can decide, you know, because it's kind of like what ends up happening is that person who's trying to stigmatize you, if you turn it around on them like that, they're they're the ones that get frustrated. And they're like, Fuck, mm-hmm. why can't I stigmatize you? I'm like, no, I'm not going to let you. Like, you know, I mean, you can sit over there and say that to yourself if you want to. But in the meantime, I'm going to win over all your friends, and then we're going to kind of start talking about what a bitch you are. Well, so and I'm in, saying it could no, go and any and of those Cage's directions. in case, I didn't tell him he couldn't. Yeah. When he came to me, though, 
and it, him already being 13, a little bit older than the 11-year-old, yeah. I just let him know. I'm like, hey, Cage, you're already a big kid. You know, he's 180 pounds, mm-hmm. muscular, six-pack, tan skin. I'm all, if you give yourself kind of a crazy man's haircut, people already, we've, we're at Disneyland, already mm-hmm. think you're a, a fucking a, a small a, adult. adult. Right, yeah. I said, just be prepared that right now you walk in you have your face your curls you know it softens the look of what your statue body Mm. brings but if you want to start you know earrings and jewelry and shaving your head and doing things of that nature you're going to put yourself in that category and people when they first meet you that's the first impression they're going to get is visual it's how humans are before you open your mouth i'm going to judge you off of what i see yeah and I'm like, so you already are setting yourself a step backwards. If that's who you want to present and that's who you feel you are, that's one thing. If that's something you think is cool and it looks cool, but that's not who you are, it's like, well, now you're giving out two different signals and then you're going to be frustrated in life because in one sense, you're going to be like, well, I'm this really soft-spoken, intelligent guy. Everybody keeps treating me like I'm a psychopath. I'm like, you're running around the mohawk. Yeah. You, you have big fucking gauges in your ear and you have a mohawk. No one wants to hear about your philosophy. They're walking on the other side of the sidewalk when they see you because they think you're fucking crazy. You know what I mean? Like, you look like a meth head. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry, but if you dress that way, I can't get past that to start talking to you to sit there and go, oh, wow, there's really a guy underneath of that. And then people get upset. And I'm like, well, but you, you kind of. But you, you can get past that. No, you can. What I mean, did you, d- tell, you and I got past what, it. Would you? Would you think the first time you saw me, you thought somebody brought his drug dealer to the gym? No, seriously, no. <laughs> now I'm the squarest guy he knows. Fuck. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> when when Ricky first brought him over, he's sitting at the edge, and I'm looking over at him. And you had Jen with you too, I yeah. think. Right for, and I'm like looking, like who the fuck is this guy? He goes to do an interview. I'm like, fucking Ricky, man. Like, is this some fucking like fucking pot dealer out of his garage? Fucking has a podcast. You're gonna bring in here, fucking. You know, what I mean? and then. But that, truth be told, had we not been forced, or not forced, but if we hadn't had a mutual agreement, we started talking, and then I was like, oh, shit. But I'm also an open-minded person. I can True. talk to somebody and get past that. Not everyone is. Yeah. Not everybody is. Not all society is that way. So once again, I want to prepare my kids for, hey, you're going to have those people that can read through whatever image you're putting up there, but don't be upset. I guess that's yeah. the, the moral of my story is like, if you sit there and go, well, I'm going to dress like a whore. My daughter, if she wants to do that when she gets older, will I be disappointed? Yeah. If she does it, am I going to keep her from leaving the fucking house? No. And when she's 18, she can mm-hmm. do what she wants. I'll be nervous. It'll make me uncomfortable. I'll under, I'm going to reevaluate what I fucked up at. But if she dresses <laughs> like a whore and then comes home and goes, hey, dad, man, these guys fucking, you know what I mean? They're f- screaming out at my ass. And I'm like looking at her. I'm like, well, babe, you know, you, you dress like a whore. They're treating you that way. They're mm-hmm. talking to you that way. It doesn't make it right. I'm not saying it's right. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that's the way it is. It's like, you know, I ran from the dog. He chased me and bit me. He shouldn't have mm-hmm. done that. You're right. The dog should have been trained not to fucking bite you. But you threw a stick at it and you ran. Mm-hmm. You you taunted it. You know what I mean? Like, and in a way, you know, and again, like people get mad at me when I say that. It's like, oh, you're victim blaming. Like, not really. You know what I mean? Like, you don't want to get cat called. Don't fucking, you know what I mean? Like, but see, if that's me in that situation, I'm not feeling sorry for myself. I'm using that as a filter. So, right. for example, yeah. you because of, because of the process that you went through with me, the, the reason you're my best friend is because you passed my best friend test. See, you're right. You are an open-minded person. So that's my way of telling whether or not you're somebody I want in my life. 
and you are. But had you just been somebody who was like, you know, that's whatever you're not capable of having a complex thought and whatever that initial impression, you know, then that's that actually helps me because I was you're weeding filtering people weeding people out. Yeah, and I guess I said as long as you're not, but but then you are okay because you're, you're not okay with the repercussions. You're okay of it. with yeah. the repercussions. Yeah, totally. I guess I only want to make sure my children understand, like, hey, if you put an image oh, yeah. forward, be prepared. Good and bad. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Hey, Bella's a jock. Cage is a jock. And sometimes, like, you know, even though they're, you know, Cage and Bella, they're straight A students, you yeah. know? And some of their friends at school will tease them a little bit, like, oh, and you're smart, you know? And they would make those comments to them if they weren't good athletes. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, well, that's repercussions of putting forward the image that you're a jock. All you talk about is sports. All you care about is sports. The, you're, you have a football team cover on your iPhone. So now, for right or for wrong, you're being stigmatized into that. You, try, mm-hmm. you know, here's the box I'm going to put you in. Mm-hmm. Are you okay with it? Yeah, okay. Well, I'm good with that. If you're not okay with it, then let's yeah, look at what just. actions. You know, again, self awareness of what responsibility I have over mm-hmm. how people are perceiving me. If you know, I don't want people to look at me like I'm low class. Well fucking stop wearing clothes with holes yeah. in it and look like you haven't washed your t-shirt in three days and then be upset that people think that oh you look like a dirt bag i'm like well you know maybe if you took a shower and shaved you wouldn't think mm-hmm. that you know see there max this podcast covers a lot of ground we talk some uh, mixed martial arts and then we get into some current events and then oftentimes we just end on a little philosophical discussion for like the patreon that. right yeah that's right that's right <laughs> All right. Well done. Well done, guys. Max, I hope you had a good time. You'll awesome. do this again sometime you soon. Guys, yeah. Really All right. When, being on. when are you going to fight again? Do we know yet? Uh, supposed to fight August 1st. They moved it back to September 5th. Uh-huh. FFC? Yeah, for FFC. Okay, good. And then uh, hopefully a couple of jiu-jitsu things coming up in August, too. Still mm-hmm. waiting to see. Mm-hmm. All right. Very good. By the way, I saw a note that our friends over there at High Rollers BJJ, where we went, <laughs> went to the jiu-jitsu tournament uh, in the the guys dude's garage then they're having one at snoop dogg's house yes i saw that <laughs> i'm gonna do the same thing hey. except i'm gonna require that you pack a dip in first Ooh. <laughs> that's a country boy Ohio <laughs> <right there. laughs> you know talking about the cbd stuff yeah. i'm working with a, a american shaman right now cbd yeah. when i get uh, they're sending me a bunch more of their stuff i have a liquid one mm. that's white that's uh that's water-based mm-hmm. It's uh, <laughs> funny story, right? I'm in Oklahoma, and this guy's like, "Hey, you like CBD?" I'm like, "Yeah." So he gives me the product, and I'm like, "Oh, I'll try some." So I'm drinking water. Now I'm commentating the show. So at one point, I'm sitting there. I'm like, "Going, wow, my shoulders and knees feel real fucking good now. This stuff is really good." <laughs> and then I got kind of nervous. I'm like, "This feels so good. I think they fucking just t- they, they they got me, dude. Motherfuckers. I'm high and I'm on TV." No. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not a good outdoorsy smoke weed guy. You know what I mean? I get too paranoid. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, no, I'm not high. I am I? I had a conversation with myself for about an hour <laughs> whether I was high or not. I'm like, well, if I'm having this conversation, I'm probably not high. So I went in and did my job. And then afterwards, I was like, hey, man, can I get more of that shit? Because that fucking yeah. was so good that I actually thought that I was slightly high because of how much pain it took away. I was hoping you were going to tell me that hour-long conversation with yourself was on the air. We could go back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope it might be. No. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I was high. Speaking of Patreon. All right. Uh, do this, Frank. Tell everybody how to follow us on social media. Uh, if you follow us on Facebook or Instagram, it's Phone Booth Fighting. Snapchat and Twitter is just Phone Booth Fight. And uh, Max, how can people uh, find you on Instagram and wherever else you like for them to look for you? Uh, I have two different Twitter handles, but you just yep. search M A X R O H S K O P F, and then the, my handles are Max Triple X Out One Five Five on Twitter, and then I think it's 
just maxing out on Instagram. Okay. All right. That's where you find uh, that's where you find Max. Uh, for Max and Frank and uh, Porno Mikey doing a great job producing as always. I'm Richard, and we'll see you right back here next time on Phone Booth Fighting. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. But they fought with.